course not. Hello. Hi, John. Oh, hi, Marlon. <clears throat> How are you? Is this still a good? Is still a good time? Yeah, it's pretty early. Mm. But... <laughs> I'm get my bell. Uh, Ooh, man, you know, like a bit of a feeling like a little bit of a cat that's been sitting in a hammock all day. <laughs> hmm. Nothing Mixed. a cat likes more than being in a hammock. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like some old Southern wisdom. That is a little bit of Southern wisdom. I feel like a corn pone inside of a fritter. <laughs> <laughs> I'm top. as existentially conflicted as a cat in a hammock. <laughs> I kind of like it, but I feel a little off kilter. I'm a little bit like a cat on the edge of a bathtub. Mm, 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 mm. I miss the color of the South. I shouldn't say that's a little bit ping pong. Hmm. But it's, uh, it's nice down there. Well, I feel I just told you in the tutor, I feel like a real idiot. Oh, because of you, because you you said a time signature that <sighs> could possibly be a time signature in our last episode. John, as you know, I'm not a music theoretician, theoreticist, theoretician, Yeah, you know, but still, I know there's no such thing as a sixth note that I'm aware yeah, of. But you know what? Here's what I did not know: there is such a thing as two thirds for time. You mean there's two- an ex- extra slash? Two-thirds four time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Two-thirds four. And hmm. you can also play in four-thirds four. You can play in... Oh, come three, on now. That's... Play in three-fifths four. Four-thirds four. I need to look at Wolfram Alpha. But wouldn't that be something like 1.3 1, 1. time? What does that yeah. resolve to? Well, that's the good question. <sighs> Is this like the time signature version of like like 12-tone or something? Apparently, l'artisanal furieux. Oh. The, third, oh, the third movement of... Le Mato Sans Maître by oh. Pierre Boulet. Oh, you're talking it's, about the the Boulet song. Yeah, Boulet. It yes. has a it has a, a portion of the uh, of the third bar, the third movement. Third. You know what bar. that reminds me of, to be honest, Mersh Mersh. I'm trying to remember the name of it. I think it's Mersh in Toten Idler by Bo Nielsen. Do you know that mm-hmm. part in bar 102? <laughs> yeah, right. Well, that's more like in three-fifths over four times. I think it's actually in two-thirds over two, and then bar 123 is in two-thirds over four. Well, mm. you know, there's a lot of room for music theoreticians to disagree about hmm. these matters. Yeah, because well, it's all about counting, and you can count things a lot of different ways. Yes, yes. Uh, Our song just, Cinnamon, for instance, is in... I still don't understand that song. It's in 4-4 four, four time. But what but are the drums is, doing? The drums are doing an oompah thing, right? Well, the so, so the... No, the drums are doing. The drums are in four four. The rest of the song is in three is it, four. It's a triplet, is, what, and it comes. It lines up. It lines up every uh, every four hundred and seventy miles. Oh, I see. It's what uh, Stuart Copeland calls synchronicity. It's a little bit of synchronicity. Synchroni- syn- synchronicity. Well, let me let me sing So you know. <laughs> <laughs> Want to hear something corny? Boy, this Bo Nielsen's got, got a lot it. of entries on the unusual time signature page. Yeah, I get the feeling that he is one of those sport composers. Oh, it's like that, class, math classical rock. Yeah, who's just like out there, like trying to trying to to write music because it's possible. Because he wants to be on a Wikipedia page. Yeah, he's trying to. He's doing math because it's possible, not because it's true or mm. because it's because it's real. Mm. I mean, I guess if it's possible, it's real. But well, what, right? what were we going to say? Were you going to sing something? I was gonna sing. Um, There's a house on my street, and it looks real neat. I'm the cat who lives in it. 
There's a tree by the sidewalk. There's a car by the door. I'll go for a drive in it. Bum, bum, bum. What's your and when the wombat comes. Yes. Now, me. that's that's one of the Stuart Copeland songs, right? That is a Stuart Copeland song, and Stuart Copeland sings it. And it is a... I remember being... What, what would I have been? 13? I think that's on one of the, the three good records. It is on one of the three good records, four, and and four. it and it's it's one it's one of the um it's one of those songs that to a thirteen year old aesthetic a thirteen year old mind it's just like so awesome so great it's the type of song that you play if you are the type of kid who takes the half rack box mm. from a twelve pack of Schmidt beer <laughs> and writes dork on it <laughs> and then makes whoever is drinking whoever is shotgunning the next beer has to wear the dork helmet <laughs> that is the kind of song that you want playing while you are shotgunning a beer wearing a dork helmet <laughs> i'm just i'm just saying um, um, i'm just theorizing what it would be like huh it just yeah uh, as a hypothetical yeah to be that kid or to be that kind of kid well if it's real it's rational and true I think Sting said that on one of his jazz records. <laughs> I remember I had a... But that, was, a, but that song was about his father. And the Russians, his... yeah, and yoga. Oof. I, uh, I had a strange experience a couple months ago. I might have mentioned this, but I, I saw somebody wearing a cowboy hat that they had made. You call it a half rack. Is that a 12-pack? Half rack, 12-pack, same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> unless, unless you're talking about Strohs. Oh, and then Stroh's, of course, has the 15-pack. Mm, Viennese Waltz. Three extra beers, and the Stroh's go for the gold 15-pack. Is that, is, does that have cold-activated bottles and uh, cold-activated cans? No, that's your thing of Coors. You're, talking about, you're thinking about the Silver Bullet, for which there is no slowing down. Oh, that's no slowing down. And that's right. And so if they put that, put that in the New Yorker, it would have a, a, a diuresis over the second O. Right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Mr. Coor. <laughs> Mr. Coors. 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 Uh, yeah, didn't, didn't you recently uh, didn't you recently call them out for putting a uh, putting an umlaut over cooperation or something? Uh, no, it was yes, but it wasn't even cooperation I made my peace with. Like they're going to do that. It, New it was I think it was reenter. Reenter oh, the, the second e. Yeah, yeah. If you pronounce this if there's two <laughs> vowels in a row, they're going to they're going to die die click the second one. Man, I'd like to do a code red on whoever is their grammar Nazi there. <laughs> they are, they are, the problem is that the Chicago manual of style, like caved, I think, or, or at least they, they waffled on the, on the Oxford comma. There was all that waffling over the Oxford comma. <laughs> and as a result of it, no one, no one knew what to believe anymore. Well, I mean, you know, if you're not going to have the Oxford comma, I mean, well, first of all, oh God. I just, can I tell you about the Coors hat? I don't want. I don't want to talk about. Oh no, let's hear about the Coors hat. Have you talked about? Have you talked about the Oxford Coors. comma on one of your other podcasts? And you and you and you feel like I that's, know it's not if, a topic. If it's for true, a lot of if it's true, it's rational and provable. So <laughs> I have to imagine. You know, it's like monkeys, <laughs> monkeys in Shakespeare. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> I have to yeah. imagine that at some point I've discussed the Oxford comma. I mean, put an unlimited number of Merlins in a in a room <laughs> with an unlimited number of grammar books. Well. Eventually, he will talk about it. I'm, I'm not going to get to the course hat. My, my, my daughter. No, no, I want to hear about the course Well, my daughter hat. started a new activity, and we got an informative uh, multi page sheet. As you know, you get informative multi page sheets about everything as a parent. And you're expected well, see, I, to digest I, it all like it's all equally important. I only know this uh, from the pediatrician who gives the, you the, the baby multi-page, doctor. Yeah, the, that's right. It gives you the multi page sheets that say your child at this age should begin to, you know, vomit in. 
in uh, in solid chunks instead mm. of just the slurry. Your child at this <laughs> age should should begin to resist when you try and choke it. Your child at this age should you know oh, should have opinions about French cinema. And and I right. read this sheet and it's just like these are the same people that told me that the contractions were going to come in an even and regular way mm-hmm. and that they were going to start at this ro- at this rotation at this intensity and then over the course of several hours they were going to mature until they were coming faster and harder mm. and i and i went to all those oh, parents I'm for just a second i i lost track i was writing down core's hat and i lost track for a second i thought you were talking about contractions like don't and can't Oh yeah, well that too. These are called Braxton Hicks uh, contractions. But I'm talking about Braxton Hicks contractions. Yeah, it feels and, like a belt. And they, and they trained me for months. That you know, they 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 Pavlovian trained me to feel like like uh, when the baby was coming, it was going to be a it was going to be a predictable and rational experience. <laughs> and then the Braxton that's how Hicks, they get you. <laughs> the Braxton Hicks contractions started, and they were like something that Tesla had de- devised. <laughs> Uh, it, it was just like a, it was like a, a, a lightning ball, and they were coming. They, they weren't anything like they had said in all these many, many classes and all these five-page stapled handouts. And I called the doctor. I called the pediatrician, and actually had the pediatrician come out of surgery to talk to me. <laughs> and I said, "What the hell? Who, who took over? Do you think?" I must have. They just they just put the suction in there and, and just <laughs> put some saran wrap over and just put it. put some ice in there and just everybody cool it. I'll John Roderick's on the line. I'll be back in three. And he comes out and he's like, "Yeah, okay, hello. What is going on?" And I said, "You guys said that it was going to go like this, and it isn't going like that." And he said, "Oh, it's fine. Every pregnancy is different." Yeah. And I said, "That's baloney. You gave me. I, I went to forty classes." And every every class told me it was going to be exactly the same, and he's like, "Oh, I know, but that's every one of them's different." You're, you guys, it's everything's happening. It's Maybe possible. that's just to keep you from not freaking out. Well, yeah, keep you from freaking out. You know what I mean? But now, when they hand me a, a three page printout that says your baby at this age should start resisting when you choke her, I'm like, yeah. I don't believe it. I'm not going to read this. It's just more of this. It's more of this. Like the mean. If your baby is the mean baby, <laughs> and my baby is a mean baby, mm. but if, you, if she is the if she's the mean baby, yeah. She will behave predictably otherwise. But I mean, it boils down to a certain kind of just speculation of like you could expect, like you're saying, if you've got a curve and you got a mean and a median, it's like, mm, you know, a bunch of the time it kind of sometimes works out this way. Right. Two white parents, normally white baby. Yeah. <laughs> Not do, you have, do you have concerns? But every once in a while, you're going huh. to you're gonna have to have a, you're gonna have to have a conversation. You got some white chocolate? <laughs> so anyway, Coors Hat. Your, we got, we got, this, we got this handout. And the handout, my wife and I both noticed completely independently that they'd, they'd missed a comma. And so one of the things that you're not allowed to bring is, uh, is um, animals' electronic devices. So either there's a missing uh, either comma. The electronic devices to belong to the animals. Yeah, yeah. And or, I, I mean, and then again, once again, do you put the S, you know, after the – anyway. I think the comma would go after the S. I'm stunned. I got to get back to Phil Collins. So I, 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 I was walking down the street. This is one of those, uh, I think it's what uh, Stuart Copeland calls synchronicity. <clears throat> I'm walking down the street or somewhere I might have dreamed it. And I saw somebody, I believe, this doesn't make sense given Florida, but I think it was the first time in my life I saw somebody wearing an AirSats cowboy hat made out of a, a, a 12 pack of, of Coors bottles. So now, now let me get, let me, let me see if I can 
zero in on have you this. seen one of these it, it is make... this is this uh, is this where they have cut aluminum cans and macrame them together into a no macrame? i'm sorry i should have been clear it's like a, not, no, it's not like a pop top vest no no it's where you take you take the box the the emptied coors coors uh cold activated box and yeah. you fashion it somehow into a cowboy hat now this on its own is pretty strange can you but... do it with one or do you need multiple Coors boxes to to make the hat look right? I guess it depends on how lonely you are. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because you're going to want the logo. Oh, you're saying like you want a uh, a ten gallon? I don't know what that would be. So I have to go to Wolfram Alpha. But but anyway, and then that very same day, maybe a day later, I saw that you could buy one on the Amazon Marketplace. Uh, I'm not uh, sure how I arrived at that. It might have been one of those a beer a, a half rack cardboard and it was Coors cowboy hat. Yeah, pretty weird. Uh, yeah. Anyway, there's no such thing as 13 six time. I feel dumb that I said it, and uh, I just I, I regret the error. I've been doing that a lot lately, John. I, I you know my and my daughter leaps on it every time I say something stupid. I confuse some Avengers. I, I'm sure I do it on this show all the time. And I, I say something. God, fifty nine forty eight time. Yeah. I gotta close this page. Um, I, I I do it more and more, and I, I'm hoping that you do it too. I mean, in a selfish way. I just find myself sometimes saying something. I think I might be a little like slow motion strokey. Like I, I find myself saying things that after I've said them and it's been pointed out to me, I realize make almost no sense. And I'm not talking about my usual not making right. sense. You know what I mean? Did, do you ever do you get that at all? Well, the thing, the thing about you, Merlin, that is mm. so extraordinary is that the the uh, that you are capable of a of such a torrent of ideas that for the most part, do make sense. That is what's astonishing. Yeah. Thank you. Know, you. I, I don't have that problem because it takes me a long time to say everything that I am trying to say because I take you all the time in between. Your, you choose your words carefully and, and not just because you're pedantic. Yeah. We'll set that aside for a minute. That is, a, that is one reason. You're here to help people, John. If you but I slow it, it down. Yeah. And what, what, you know, I've said multiple times because lately, Merlin, I have been reading a couple of transcripts of our show. Ooh. Um, because I have, you all, you're so quotable. You're, you, you really speak in like written paragraphs. Well, part of that is the, is the slowness, but, but reading some of the transcripts of the show, there are things that you say. I'm sure that the person who transcribed the episode had to slow the tape down. You know, it took him a half an hour to transcribe one one exchange between us because you say so many things and so many of them are on point and they are referencing back and referencing forward and you are moving through time like a like a like a worm through a cheese and <laughs> and, and, and is that I'm, really a thing? Yeah, yeah. You should see worms uh, move through cheese. It's they're like time travelers. Huh. That's that's just science, but. But uh, but I'm reading the transcripts and I'm thinking, you know, I I was I was a part of this conversation and there were there are whole stretches of it where, where I was really I was like the jet ski rider and and, and I'm I throwing was, cans of course and, and you know and, and you and you were the lake and I was hmm. just I was just I was just going on the wave tops. I John, wasn't. John, I'm the sidekick and I'm I'm so okay with that. I come in. I uh, I add, I don't know if you know this, but I edit the program. I, sl- I select the show art. I, I thought I, you didn't edit the program. Oh, I I put it in GarageBand and hit a button. Oh, well, I guess I that's think edit. that counts as editing. Are there are half half the people that have a production credit on Wikipedia, or that's all they did. 
They put it in. They put it in. I mean, even Andy Warhol sat there with the Starnberg essay or whatever it's called, that big film editing machine. I doubt it. He just points you, it. He points it at the Empire State Building and gets a haircut. If you look at the production credits just from the Long Winters records, there are a lot of people on there that did less. But also, yeah. maybe anyway. under Ken Stringfellow, I'm always punching in. Yeah, although Ken, God, God rest his soul. <laughs> You can't mourn the undead. That's not classy. I'm, I'm so I I'm so I, I you know I just like to say a nice word about Ken, who's been dead all these centuries. <laughs> I don't on like, an air mattress of dirt. I, I don't like to speak ill of the undead, but uh, but but no, uh, Ken is a great producer. Yeah. Uh, part of it is that he doesn't need sleep and uh, and feeds on teens. <laughs> But he may, he's gets, gets great guitar sound. Okay. Um, Did you know that the lyrics of Synchronicity, the song, actually foreshadow Sting's solo career? Like the I lyrics they of, were palindrome. I'm not talking about Synchronicity 2. Oh, you're talking about with one breath, with one hope, you will know Synchronicity? Yeah. Yeah. A star fall, the good a phone one. call, it joins all Synchronicity. It's so deep, it's so wide, you're inside synchronicity that's a foreshadowing yeah the shadow came first yes this is this is dream of the blue turtles oh but in advance of 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 like that that we could have ever conceived of it like when synchronicity came out you had no you had no foresight of dream of the blue turtles or beyond that's the only thing that kept me hanging on yeah but if you if you had really studied these lyrics you know Almost imperceptible, something inexpressible, science insusceptible. Uh, we should have seen it coming. Logic so inflexible, causally connectable. Oh come on! It sounds like a Burger King commercial. This is, and it's, it's really. I mean, I've heard this song a billion times. I don't, I don't think I ever <clears throat> took the time to see what Sting was talking about, and what he was talking about was, yeah, tantric fucking. Oh right, riding the... around in the back of a jaguar. <laughs> yes. And, you know, like... You get the little, uh, the Indian cum vice, right? You just, mm, clamp it down. That's right. And none of this is good now. None of this. There is no political solution to our troubled evolution. Have no faith in constitution. There is no bloody revolution. But see, I can forgive that. That could be, I mean, that that could be a Minutemen lyric or whatever, but... Oh, here we go. (laughs) But... But uh, I'm gonna have to go back and see what the first sign, or maybe some of our listeners. Oh no, I, I can I can help with that. What is the first <clears throat> indication that you had that Sting would eventually be become the Sting that we know? Where is the evidence in the in the police? Well, for example, he did not write the lyric. Ton of white boy guilt. That's my problem. Obstacle to joy. One reason to use some drugs. <laughs> if he'd written like that, no, <clears throat> no chance. You probably don't recognize that. You know, it's a, it's bullshit. I realized that when I saw him as a bellhop carrying people's bags oh, wait, into I the fancy hotel. <clears throat> is this that, that uh, like, uh, uh, Brimstone uh, and Marmalade? Is this that movie where he's the creepy guy? No, Dune. What are you talking about? No, no. It's his. It's his uh, star. Oh, Ace turn. Face. Ace Face. Yeah, Ace Face. is star <gasps> turn in Quadrophenia. Is that is that a good movie? I, I feel like I've started it and, and it seems weird. No. No, it's okay. not. A, um, I, did I ever tell you about the first time I saw Tommy? Did you get that M. Margaret picture I sent? Do you have a three by five card there that's like a hot one that's burning, um, a, burning a hole in your no, hand? No, I'm just going to write all this down. I want to come back to my to, when I taught my daughter to curse. So the and, first time, uh, and the first interview I read with Sting, I'm writing this down. 
the first time I ever saw Tommy, uh, there was a double feature at, at the University of Alaska Anchorage in the student center. And some kid from my junior high school was like, hey, you want to go to this movie with me? And I had never, I hadn't, I mean, it was like a, it was a, it was a student, like a student activity at the university and we were going to sneak in. We were in eighth grade, I guess. Mm -hmm. And we go in and it's, you know, it's a student center is all full of kids and you can smell pot smoke in the air. And it felt very dangerous. We were like clearly too young to be there. And it was a double feature of Tommy and heavy metal, which had just come out. Wow. And Tommy was first and heavy metal was the, was the, headliner and that's we were there to see heavy metal neither did, did you had, know what was on the soundtrack did you know the soundtrack not not well yeah i guess we had we we already owned the soundtrack because we were it's a weird soundtrack we were devo fans okay so we got the soundtrack because of devo and then you know that sammy hagar track's pretty killer and isn't there's like, a lot of good cheap, cheap tricks on there too cheap tricks on there there's there's some good jams that's a great movie but so we had to sit through tommy and i had never seen a musical Certainly, I'd never seen a rock musical, and uh, it chilled me to the bone. It scared the living daylights out of me. Tommy did. I kept waiting for it to make sense. I kept waiting for, I kept waiting for a, a um, sympathetic character. Uh, it it really it I, I can't say that I was too young. I just was. I didn't. I didn't get it. I didn't like it. It took me. It took me multiple viewings of Tommy to. To, uh, to dig it's it. a really weird movie. It's it's it looks. I don't know how to describe this. It, off the top of my head, I mean, because the thing is, when I saw it, I was already such a huge Who fan, and I I mean, I I had just and Tommy for me was like wow. I mean, I I had just I'd listened to it so many times, and I, you know, learned up uh, as well as I could play along with the songs. <clears throat> the movie just it looked weird, and yeah. it was too concrete. In some ways, I think uh-huh. probably Elton John in giant shoes playing pinball like didn't help. But uh-huh. <laughs> in my Although head, Tina, Tur- I- Tina Turner in the Iron Maiden was that helped me. That'll serve me well at sea. <laughs> I uh, but I, yeah, I remember it looking in retrospect kind of like the Blues Brothers. You know, Blues Brothers has that weird like almost like TV movie kind of look to it. And in retrospect, I think about like uh, speaking of Ace Face and gangs. I watched this movie the other night called The Firm about soccer hooligans. It was pretty good. And I, I've been thinking more about like gang movies actually lately. And, uh, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know why I mentioned this, but like sometimes movies, it seems like the firm, for example, was based on this BBC show, like a, like a one hour or two hour TV show with Gary old, old, Oldham, Oldman, Newman, Newman, Gary Newman. <laughs> right. It was, it was a two boy army show from, uh, but, uh, and I thought, you know, this is a good movie, but it was probably a lot better as a TV show because oh. of the dramatic compression of it. You know, you kind of need to stretch it out into a movie. And with Tommy, it's what makes Tommy so great. I mean, I, I love the little – like what that guy can do with a sus four as a callback. You know what I mean? It becomes almost symphonic. And when you put it in a movie with like Eric Clapton walking down a church aisle, it's weird. Yeah. So so Although, you found it disturbing. I, I'm still disturbed by my by, – by that first – by the first impression of Tommy. And even the cartoon boobs in heavy metal could not erase the <laughs> trauma – of uh, of of watching Tommy all the way through, and and you know like a a drunk pilled pilled out and Margaret rolling around in a in a bed full of beans. Mm. I mean, yeah. But I take I take uh, I I still watch the Blues Brothers probably three times a month. 
I really, really, I like that movie. And I, until I think about it, I, I don't realize like how often I still constantly quote the Blues Brothers. Yeah, you can't, you can't not. And yet, I introduced Jonathan Colton, our oft-referenced friend on this podcast. I introduced him to the Blues Brothers as an adult. He had never seen it. Forty years old, he'd never seen the Blues <sighs> Brothers. And I, sh- and it's just like, come on, really? He didn't see the Blues Brothers because why? Because you were too cool when you were ten. I wanted to beat him. I wanted to beat him down with a boat paddle. He deserved to go to Yale. Uh, yeah, that's exactly right. And you know what? Yale is full of people like that. I am not surprised at all, John. You Walk encounter st- an extraordinary amount of people from Yale, and I just I think it's a shame on every level. If you stood on if you stood if you stood in the center of Yale and, and on their quad, they probably don't even have a quad. It's probably, no, it's probably a, a quint. A, it is a quint, yeah, or a sext. Uh, and you stand there with a, you <laughs> so stand, you can play D and D on it. <laughs> you stand there with a clipboard, and you ask every person walking by with a with a knotted pink scarf or a knotted pink sweater around a cravat. You say, "Excuse me, have you ever seen the Blues Brothers?" I bet eighty percent of them would say no, and they would say, "You know, they'd say no, like no, that's a that's a movie the servants watch." <laughs> but anyway, I introduced Jonathan Colton to the Blues Brothers, or rather, I insisted that he watch it, which is the way I introduce people to things. It works. And he wrote me. And here's what he said. Are you ready? Yeah. Meh. Oh. He said meh. <sighs> yeah. This is a movie with Cab Calloway. Ray Charles. Ray Charles. Yeah, I mean. Chaka Khan is in that movie. That must. It's, it's, uh, Aretha Franklin. Steve Cropper. Pee Wee Herman. Meh, he said. That must have been infuriating. What I can can't you imagine do? you, first of all, anybody who says meh to you. What can you do? He was across the country. If he had been there, and that's why he did it. Yeah, he, he, really, he, really, he, me, he really relies on that. I would, I would have put a carton of milk down the front of his pants. <laughs> meh. <laughs> meh. Um, <clears throat> I'm sorry. I, I had, anyway, uh, you taught your daughter <clears throat> to swear. A lot of chicken for dinner. Oh, yeah. I don't You know what. Who cares? Um, no, I want to know because I intend, I'm already teaching my daughter how to swear by swearing well, around all the time. I, see, I thought it was going to be okay to say crap, but today, today she said crap on the swing set and I felt kind of bad and I realized said what crap a hypocrite. to another child? No, I read it to her in comics. It's, it's my substitution for another word. And, you know, I say, I do say crappy a lot. And in my head, that's like, what? Crappy. Ah, oh, boy, what a, what a crappy comic this was or something like that. Right. And I don't realize that, you know, she can hear what I'm saying. Yeah. And they emulate that. Um, no, <clears throat> we said this ritual, we have rituals. I'm, you, I imagine you have rituals. One of our, you know what? This is really boring. But one of our <laughs> rituals, we go, we go to the walk-in beer cooler ever since she was an infant. We would go to the walk-in beer cooler at the Lucky. You have one of those at your house? <laughs> Not that I'd show you. <laughs> and, uh, I've been to your house. I never saw a walk-in beer cooler. <laughs> and, and ever since, before, way before she could talk, we'd walk in there and it was you know, one of our rituals. We'd visit the lobsters. We'd walk into the beer cooler and we'd walk into the inside. coolers. What's that? You put her inside the beer cooler and... I pretend you're going to leave her there. <laughs> There's not that much I have to teach her, but what I have. And and we walk up to the, the Coors, yeah. and, and I would say, <laughs> I'd say, look, cold activated bottles, cold, you know, along the lines of, you know, real tomato ketchup, uh-huh. cold activated bottles, cold activated can. I say, Ellie, who buys this? And of course, she couldn't talk yet, so I go, dumbasses. <laughs> <laughs> and then eventually now she picks it up and I always tell her before we leave the beer cooler, right? This is just our special word that we only use in the beer cooler. Dumbasses. <clears throat> I, uh, I saw, I read an interview with sting and I want to say, so to answer your question, I'm not sure where it started because yeah. there needs to be a name for this phenomenon, which is like, Oh my gosh, 
you are such an important part of my life, artist, that like you could roll on the strength for a pretty long time. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Weezer being a great example, one of my mm-hmm. made two of my all time favorite records, and then a lot of stuff that made me go, huh? Well, where, not just that, but they've they have committed like full on crimes against humanity that you are blind to or continue to forgive them for. I'm going to write that down. So you think it should be a Twitter Nuremberg? <laughs> there really should. We should have a we should have a tribunal. Put them on, make, put them online. Yeah, put the put headphones on them and let everybody let everybody on Twitter try them. Try them for crimes against humanity. Court of their fucking peers. <clears throat> also, I watched Downfall the other night. Have you watched yeah. that? Yeah. Okay, we should return to that. Um, and it was an interview, and I and I, I want to say Musician Magazine. Uh, and it was right around the time it was, you know, publicity for blue turtles. And it was one of those, another one of those Bruce Willis moments where in the, I think I want to say, I'm probably going to get this wrong, but my memory of it is that in the introductory paragraph where the overwriter wants to establish the scene, I think he was in bare feet and, uh, he had a yellow legal pad. There's a copy of Lolita sitting around, of course, you know, right. He's read a book and a rhyming dictionary. Uh And in retrospect, that seems kind of important. Think about that. Yeah. Think about the political solution, the troubled evolution, the faith and constitution, the bloody mm-hmm. revolution. Hello, you're absolutely right. He's rhyming shun, 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 shun. Yeah, yeah. And what, See, what, I, was, I, what was your example? Was uh, Oh, whatever whatever it was from, uh, from Synchronicity. Oh, um, Synchronicity 1. Synchronicity 1, right. The, uh, well, I mean, every imperceptible, inexpressible, ins- insusceptible... See, I think he tries to. I think he tries too hard. I think you know we talked about the Sarises, the Sarii, not yeah. too long ago. Like, I think he tries way too hard. I think he's trying to jam a lot of fake smart in, into a rock song, and then he realized that that was he was above that. Yeah, well, this was the problem with me in my early career when I was up against some other indie rockers who were using <laughs> big words and. Was I was coming up short. People were saying like, oh, the long winners are, you know, it's smart indie rock. Kind of in the family of these other really smart indie rockers like X, mm-hmm. Y, and Z. All of whom I knew to be stings. They were all stings. Hmm. They were all saying inexpressible, imperceptible, insusceptible. Mm, barrel boy. <laughs> and I was hmm. mad all the time this during that part of my life. boot which, black. I'm not mad anymore. You don't write about Dickens at all. Pirates. Pirate music, right? Now, now, now. Okay. I'm not saying anybody specifically. I'm just saying that is, you know, that's a, that is a kind of, it's a genre that music writer, writers like to put, uh, uh, musicians that write lyrics that are complete sentences, they like to put them all together <laughs> and say, these are the ones, these are the musicians who write complete sentences. Right. They are a type. They're a genre. And uh, oh, I was so mad because, you know, there are a lot, I can use a lot of 11 cent words, but I, but they don't belong <laughs> in song lyrics. I don't think, come on, insusceptible. Yeah. Um, That's just, you know what I'm, I'm thinking now, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to keep up with the conversation, even as my brain churns on, on police lyrics, <laughs> but did you know the phenomenon I'm talking about? You, you must've had this with certain bands. Where in the case of the police, like I lost my virginity listening to the police. I feel that way about uh, <sighs> Fresh Prince, oh. DJ Jazzy Jeff. As, as in parents just don't understand? That first DJ Jazzy Jeff and Prince, Fresh Prince record 
which I mean, I think the entire career of of Will Smith is in in a in a way indefensible. It the is not the a, entire thing. Well, uh, musically, oh. like I don't I don't think you could go I don't think you could go like take his whole catalog and make a playlist out of it and be proud of yourself. Yeah, I don't mean to bust your bubble, but the girls you, of the world ain't nothing but trouble. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a pretty tight jam. I had a twelve inch of that. But I can go. I can do the entire. Parents just don't understand, start to finish. Yeah. And every time, you know, somewhere about three quarters of the way down, I start to feel like I'm about to lose my virginity again. <laughs> you know, you, you then, start having flashbacks. It's a uh, so the the Fresh Prince is like your trigger word. Yeah, that's right. I feel I, all of a sudden I'm I'm at a sex on the beach party, and there are a bunch of girls that have their their bangs spray painted into these giants like rocks of gibraltar you're still listening to that at 30 that's interesting <laughs> ding. ding where's my i can't even reach my belt oh, there. yeah thanks uh but yeah you know big big bangs and then there's this one girl across the room mm. whose bangs are unadulterated oh and i was like who is that girl every other girl in this place has teased her hair she had natural bangs and she just had let was letting her hair just be like she washed it and then she probably put some conditioner in it and it was it was black hair and it was just sort of hanging down curly <laughs> i was like what's going on with this girl no hair product and at the at the time that seemed like almost Almost the the highest endorsement you could give a person. That is that is punk rock in its way, mm-hmm. and our, our listeners uh, who are certainly younger than us will will not remember this. But <laughs> in the time I think you're talking about, um, mm-hmm. I, I used to I think this is in parlance uh, hair muffins. Like like you would have hair these muffins. things that involved usually mousse, and then in girls' case usually like a curling iron, and they yeah. would they would produce this um, puffy pastry of hair. Correct. Yeah, I mean to quote Josea Bear, I mean most most of the women at the time had three different haircuts. And the men did too, but but mm. but the women, the women, you know, you get like a perm, right? A perm. You get a perm. Step one. Yes. Yeah, step one. Step one. You get a perm. Perm. And, and then I, step two is you iron flat your front hair, right? And then you curling iron it into a muffin. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it looks almost like like half a fountain, and but they're real delicate and have to be maintained. Right. Like humidity, you know. And then you couple that with high waisted jeans, mm. and potentially like, a, like, a, like an esprit like striped top with no sleeves. Yeah, an esprit that says esprit across the top. Esprit, so you know, a it's esprit. sleeveless sleeveless sweatshirt, high waisted jeans uh, that maybe have a have a like a proto. Finish of they got flaps, you know, acid wash. Uh, All right, kind of, <gasps> I've taken those kind of off. Yes, color, color, new, new, new style color finish, and uh, and then shoes. I'm gonna say pink pumps or candies, yeah, candies, candies. Usually, the the uh, the pants were a little short, you get a little extra ankle. There, it could also have been stirrup pants. Oh, yes, um, like this was this was. What we had to deal with, you and me, Merlin, yeah, during, it, it, during it is, our, yeah. primary, our primary, like, our sexual burgeoning, our blooming, and uh, women were dressed, uh, almost universally, young women were dressed like they were climbing out of a clown car in that, <laughs> uh, in that James Bond movie where, uh, where he goes to the circus in 
in France or whatever. <laughs> or Roger Moore's a clown? Yeah, where Roger Moore dresses up like a clown. I hate that scene. What an undignified scene. It was such a terrible movie. And all of the and that's how that's how young girls dressed when we were teens. Like Roger Moore. <laughs> like Roger Moore with giant giant polka dot bow ties. Moore. And then there was this moment this moment I remember we're looking around one day and all of the girls were wearing tight clothes and everybody looked great. And I was like, what the fuck? Oh, what like happened? you got, you got, uh, Roman. Like that got taken away from you. You did not have that. You missed yeah. that window. Yeah. Your, your window opened into a spree. I could never be 16 again. And when I was 16, I was being, I was being shown through the outfits of my peers, this completely ambiguous, uh, like sexuality, this uh, this this version of femininity that you couldn't possibly be attracted to. You know, underneath all of the gel and the acid wash and the ill-fitting clothes, there are young girls, and you are a young boy. You know, you're attracted some through the haze. But they were like they were. It was like a. It was like their fathers had all banded together and devised the the like from head to toe the the best possible way to make them sexually unappealing i've been sitting here while while you're finishing that excellent sentence i've been sitting here trying to come up with a funny example Mm -hmm. of like well you might as well have dressed him up like dennis the menace i was like you know what that would be totally fucking hot compared to the way mr Mr. wilson i mean next door i mean that would have been that would have been hotter if a girl was dressed like mr wilson that would be hot there is there's (laughs) nothing less hot than acid washed waist-high jeans yeah and 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 like overdone, overthought hair. My girlfriend had had earrings that looked like lightning bolts, not the brand. But but remember those like like weird. I'm not talking about like Nina Cherry. I'm talking about obviously like five years before that. The right. like the, the the geometry. There's a lot of geometry. You know, there's yeah. a lot of angles. A lot of angles. A lot of big, 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 big shoulders. Oh God! Big why shoulders? Are you this? Big shoulders? I what do. Is, what what? Well, who thought that? That a good look on a sixteen-year-old girl would be a a jacket with giant shoulders. It's like, and 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 I was training my penis during this time <laughs> to know what it liked to to be able to function in the world. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking around and I'm like, big shoulders, geometric earrings, like ill-fitting pants, stirrups sweatshirt that does not add up john and i and i was just like what am i and then then across the room i see a girl who has not put any product in her hair and i'm like it's she's from another dimension she's from another time she's wearing she's wearing army pants Mm. and you know and i was and my course was set but what if everybody had just been dressing like normal people back in the 80s maybe maybe my life would be totally different I remember my friend saying, to, I came to school one time in, a, in just some clothes, just some clothes, some normal clothes. Mm-hmm. And my friends like staged a, uh, an intervention, like a mini intervention in the hall. And they were like, dude, are you immune to embarrassment? What? Like, no, wait, I'm sorry. So what counts as like normal? I mean, your usual kind of preppy Stan Smith look? No, I mean, I'm wearing, I was wearing some army pants that I got at the Army Navy surplus store. And I was wearing a shirt. I don't know. It might have had... I went through a phase where I found a whole roll of stickers that were little uh, rainier beers with legs. 
You remember the Rainier beers? That, no, no. That, like, I think that's a exclusively like Washington State thing, isn't it? Rainier beers that used they, they, they did a commercial where there were a bunch of giant Rainier beers that had legs, and they like were running through the forest, and the and your goal as the consumer was to was to chase these wild Rainiers. On <laughs> that sounds like you got the DTS on the hoof, and you're like the Rainiers, and they that <laughs> somebody would see them, and then they'd be all the way across a meadow, and then they would run into the woods, and you'd be like, "Get them, the Rainiers!" Was it was, was it animated? No, no, they were live. They were live <laughs> oh, action. that's chilling. Live action, full size Rainier beers. Dumbasses. And, and so they made somebody made a bunch of stickers that were like actually fabric, little fabric. Rainier beers with legs. Oh, I think I know the kind you mean. They look almost like patches, but you kind of yeah, slap them Yeah, they look like on. patches, but they're stickers. Right. And and so all my friends had alligators on their shirts. And so this shirt might have had a Rainier beer in place of <laughs> this the This is allig- when, you, when you meet the freebang free lady? <laughs> this is just this day in high school oh. where I was wearing army pants and maybe <laughs> a... sounds like a Charles Carroll show. <laughs> maybe a polo shirt that might have had a Rainier beer instead of an alligator. Oh, and these guys John. were like, "You are humiliating us." They they, they did like a uh, a Rainier intervention. It was a little bit like a scene from Pretty in Pink. Like, um, John, really? Are you are you gonna you gonna like be a loser, or are you gonna get with the program? And that the phrase they used was "immune to embarrassment." Are you immune to embarrassment? If you send out signals that you don't <laughs> want to fit in, <laughs> and. And uh, and yet, you know, there it was across the room, this girl with her hair down. And she probably was just wearing some normal tennis shoes. I mean, we would we look we looked like you say that like that's a small thing. Me and this girl probably looked like the only two by, by today's standards. We would be the only two normal people. If you looked at if, you, if, if they made a movie about it. Right. You would look at the at me and this girl and you'd be like, oh. There's two people that they forgot to put in costume. I was watching the great American classic Hot Tub Time Machine last night. And, of course, they – oh, God. There's two kinds of people in the world. Well, probably five. But but there's hangover people and there's Hot Tub Time Machine people. And I am definitely in the better group. Hot Tub Time Machine people. Oh, it's a far superior movie. And yep. – uh, uh, but, you know, they, they play super fast and loose with the references. Like you wouldn't have Safety Dance – and like those in excess songs in the same period, whatever. It's supposed to be 1986 right. or seven. But I think they, they kind of nailed in the production design. They kind of nailed a lot of the look because it really was that stupid. I mean, you know, by the time it was in the early to mid nineties, the eighties seemed much more dated than the seventies. Oh my God. And now looking back, whatever, you know, 25, 30 years later, it's, 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 it's ridiculous. And here's, but even tennis shoes, like you had to have a certain girls had to have a certain kind of Keds, but they didn't even wear Keds. If you were going to wear Keds, if you're going to wear tennis shoes, you had to wear Keds unless you were like running track. But otherwise, you'd wear like these weird flats, like those, those weird like white shoes. Everybody looked like Daisy Duck. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, was now I mean, was I the had, fresh? I had red boat shoes, but uh, like a like a Sperry topsider. Yeah, but they were red. I had I had topsiders. But were they red? No. No. Right. They, were, they were brownish. Right. And so was I mean, was Fresh Prince playing when you saw her? Was I? It wasn't if you leave. Wasn't playing. No, here's the, thing. here's the thing you may not know about me. I lost my virginity a little bit late. Hmm. I was not a 16-year-old. I was not a 15-year-old. I remember I dated a girl one time who, was, who told me her big, like, lose her virginity story about how she and her longtime boyfriend who had long black hair to, the, to his belt were running in a field of flowers or something. I mean, she, this girl, like, was... 
half the time I thought she was hallucinating when she talked, but <laughs> she had this ver- she had this identity, this idea of herself that she lost her virginity in a field of flowers with her 15 year old one true love. Later on, she was like, <laughs> looked like the singer from Soundgarden. <laughs> yeah, you looked like, exactly. You looked like Chris Cornell. Later on, she told me the, her, the boy she was dating right before me was a heroin addict who who rode his motorcycle up the stairs of their house in San Francisco. They're like their Knob Hill Victorian that they were squatting in. Rode his motorcycle up the stairs, and then she and he and some other girl made passionate love all night together, and it was the freest any of them had ever been. And this is before Live Journal. <laughs> yeah, and then and then she and I are going out, and I'm like, well, I work in a pizza parlor, and, uh, and I understand. So do you. I understand. <laughs> I understand physics. I understand that motorcycles don't go up narrow steps. We both work in a pizza parlor, and I'm having a hard time squaring that away with all of these amazing stories you're telling. Did you me. think that at the time? Well, no. At the time, every time I read an interview with uh, Kurt Cobain in the newspaper, where he said that he just wrote all the lyrics to Nevermind. Uh, on the bus on the way to the studio, I took him at face value, and I took this girl at face value. I was like, "Wow, your last boyfriend was a heroin addict who rode his motorcycle up the stairs of your Knob Hill mansion." And and during that, and you know, and I I had enough sense that I could think back what surely you know that that, that was only six months ago, uh, before she left San Francisco, and six months ago in my own personal timeline. I was sleeping in a Ford Aerostar parked in a carport, and I was uh, I was I was scraping people's bongs for a living. <laughs> and, and I'm like, well, then why are you going out with me? And she would, you know, she'd kind of look look out the window and say, I'm not even sure. And I'd be like, man, I feel I feel like the pressure's on here to be the worst boyfriend you ever had. I really, I really feel. Oh, like she's you- almost daring you. Yeah, I feel like you are you are really you want to see you want to see a guy ride his motorcycle up the stairs of your house? I'm going to do you one better. I'm going to ride the my motorcycle up the stairs of your heart. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, but you know you're I mean like I I I was so susceptible to stuff like that. Maybe mm-hmm. just maybe just because I was insecure, but it was so easy for me to be drawn in to something like that where I go, "Oh, yeah. Whoa, 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 whoa. You know, like you could tell me anything, the craziest right. stories. And because I was so provincial, I would sit there wrapped. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. You know, like well, when you meet people who work in the service industry and talk about their boat or whatever, and you're like, wow, that sounds like an awesome boat. Yeah. <laughs> when you leave 7-Eleven at the end of your shift, it must be great to go yachting around the Pithlachiscote River. Yeah, that that whole, the the braggadocio is, is one thing that at, at a certain point you realize like all the guys that you were sitting around with in high school who were telling you about the remote control helicopter that they built that could fire real missiles, you realize that they they were bullshitting the whole time. And yet when you when you're getting that kind of when you're getting that kind of flim flam from a girl that you're interested in right. and she's flim flamming you about the time that she lost her virginity when she was fifteen in a field of flowers with Chris Cornell, <laughs> you're like this that is the female equivalent of I built a remote control ho- uh, helicopter over the summer that fired real missiles and I killed a cat with it or something like it's the same level of bullshit, but I, I but I was not I was not prepared for it. But on a practical level, even today, like if you had a liquidity event in mind, you mm-hmm. would still play along today. 
I mean, maybe you, as the as the mature John Roderick, wouldn't need that liquidity event enough, and you would go home to your Braille Playboys. But I think back then you would go, "Whoa, this is uh, you know this is dangerous." And like, even if it's BS, it's pretty great BS. Yeah, yeah. It's a, there's a little bit of like whatever you say, miss. But in my own case, my own peculiar uh, route through life, I uh, I was busy trying to reform girls for most of my teenage years. Huh? Uh, when they would when they would come to me and say. Like, um, have you ever kissed a girl behind the gym? And I would look around and we would happen to be standing behind the gym. And I would, it would register like what she was doing. Like uh, instinctively, what I would say is, oh, you don't, you don't really want to kiss me. I think you're, I think what you want is to be friends maybe or to have have the respect of a of like, oh you were to, still still in that gender equality still in that phase we're talking about you were you were helping people in a different way then i was helping people and i was you were like was, a kind of uh a gender enormative uh pygmalion yeah i was i was killing them softly with my lack of song <laughs> and so anyway. and how how it, and first of all, you know, I, I'm guessing most girls at that age that took some well, not balls. It, it took some uh, took some guts to say yeah. something like that to a guy behind a gym. Yeah, unless they're absolutely. fast, unless they were they, fast, they weren't. And then they then they would look they would look mortified, and they would try and play it off like they had been that they had been kidding or whatever. And then it would be awkward between us forever forever after. So anyway, I did not lose my virginity until I was almost 20 years old, 19. And three quarters. And even then, it was just because I happened to be at this party. I like I had I had no intention of losing my virginity. I, I didn't realize that that was a thing that I was going to have to choose to do. I was out there you saving were, you girls. Were, like that night when you were preparing and like putting on deodorant and choosing a shirt, you didn't like have that in mind. Well, in fact, that day, I had gone four-wheeling in a national park with a friend of mine and had gotten arrested. And uh, I'd gotten arrested, and then when the and I was arrested by a uh, by a national parks employee. Oh, how humiliating! And by a, well, no, I mean those national parks guys. I mean he's a gun carrying oh national parks cop. He's a steward. That's right. He is a he is literally a ranger, a ranger in the in the Lord of the Rings sense. Yeah, a good. And he arrested me, uh, partly because I was so baked that I got out of my truck and I turned the locking, uh, hubs on my four wheel drive truck. But I had been, I had been so drunk the night before that I had, I'd turned the hubs. And so I turned them off. I, I unhooked the hubs thinking I was hooking them. Oh. And then I was four wheeling and I, but I wasn't in four wheel drive. And so I got my truck stuck and then the, national park ranger came and arrested me for four wheeling in a national park and then he searched me and he found that i was covered in drugs (laughs) and he pulled out and so anyway my friend my good friend peter who sometimes listens to this podcast he was peter was videotaping the entire arrest oh no and at a certain point the park ranger pulls a pipe out of my pocket that i had made out of a a ski pole (laughs) So it was very. Long. It was like a peace pipe. It was like a foot and a half long, made out of a uh, made out of a ski pole that had a bowl. <laughs> Did you have it on your person? I had it in my large jacket, <laughs> my, my large Gore-Tex jacket. 
that had many a multitude of pockets. And he was he was frisking me, and he found this thing. And he pulled it out, and on the videotape, you can see him hold it up and look at it, and look at me, and look back at the pipe, just like what the. And then he goes to break it over his knee, but the pipe is made of aluminum, and it's just. It's <laughs> is just, that on? Is that on the video? It's on the video. It's just short enough that he that he goes to break it across his knee and it and it didn't even bend. He just like he just creamed his knee with this thing. And it made him so mad that he handcuffed me and he put me in the back of his of his uh blazer and drove me down off of this mountain. Drove me down to Wasilla, actually, where Sarah Palin is from. With my friend Peter following behind in the in my truck, videotaping the whole. Peter drive. got out, out of he videotaped it and got out of the whole thing unscathed. Peter, Peter, the thing about Peter is he was like he was my Teflon friend. Peter and I could be standing next to a burning building, and Peter would have the gas can in his hand, and a cop would walk up and arrest me. <laughs> and Peter would be like, "Okay, Johnny boy, I'll bail you out when I get the you know." Oh, so anyway, I gave Peter my my ATM card. Oh, and Peter, right. Peter took the ATM card and went and bought himself dinner <laughs> before he got the money out to bail me out. Do you out. feel and like, he, in retrospect, were you unclear with him about what the card was for? No, he videotaped himself having dinner. <laughs> and, he, and then the, you know, he's like, hey, I'm loving this sandwich. Thanks a lot, Johnny boy. And he's like, he's doing it as a, like, as like a, you know, that was the kind of, that was the kind of sport we played on one another. But then he so so I'm I'm like nobody knows wasting away in this jail. You, you got we, you got super drunk one night. You were high and four wheeling in a national park that day. You got arrested. Yeah, and then so Peter finally comes. He bails me out of jail. Wow. Now it's like I don't know what time it is. Still ten eleven o'clock at night, and we're all the way out in Wasilla, and we know about this party that is literally called a sex on the beach party. You mean as as in the uh, the mixed drink? The mixed drink, because the girls that are throwing the party are like, hee hee hee, sex on the beach. We're making these drinks, and so Peter and I drive to the sex on the beach party. Me just freshly sprung from jail and and relieved of all my pot and other drugs <laughs> by the ranger, and uh, we roll up into this party and it's all these girls with the stirrup pants and the high hair. And then there's this girl across the room with black curly hair and no product in it. And I was like, hmm, what do you know? There's a girl here like me. And little by little, everybody else, you know, it's four o'clock in the morning and everybody else is passed out or, you know, vomiting in the driveway or whatever. And she and I are like kind of the last men standing. And Fresh Prince is playing. And she says something to me i don't remember you know we're sitting on the couch and i and i turned you know how old am i i'm 19 years old i mean i come on right i turned to her and i wrap some fresh prints at her and like i wrap along with the record which i happen to know <laughs> and that is i mean i and she was not 19 i think she was 17 and uh she got a look on her face that was not impressed but that this is, and this is most of the girls that I've slept with in my life. They get a look on their face that is not impressed, but that thinks that's pretty cute. You, you, you made an impression. Yeah. And then, and then, uh, then I lost my virginity to her. 
And it was very definitely a case where I don't, I don't think she was a virgin at all. And I think that she didn't think I was either. So I was, you know, I was under a little bit of pressure to pretend that I was not pretend that this was not like a singular moment. Did she know that you'd been in jail that day? I mean, at that point, I'm pretty sure it was the first thing Peter said when we walked in the door of the party, but he doesn't have a tape of you guys having intercourse, right? Well, he does, he does have a tape of himself barging into the room the following morning <laughs> and waking us up, tangled up in her bed, videotaping us and saying like, wake up, Johnny boy. And uh, I, I, he may jump. He may jump on the bed. I'm not sure. This was, you know, this was, this is what kids have been doing for thousands of years. And, are, you, are, you, are you pretty sure Peter's real? This is one no, of those fight I, club things, is it? I know for a fact that he's real. Yeah. The, the number of, you know, Peter and I met, he went to a different high school than I did. He went to West Anchorage High School. Oh, the good Ozzy Osbourne one. That's right. I went to East Anchorage High School, uh, which was the low rent of the two original high schools. West West was the first high school in Anchorage, and the people that went there thought that they were going to the Yale of public high schools of Anchorage. <laughs> like they really did. They acted like they were they were somebody special. And Peter Peter and I went to different high schools. We barely knew each other. We knew each other from like some student congress uh, event or something, but hardly knew is that each like other. a like a boy state kind of thing. Yeah, boy state, right? That type of thing. We met we met there, but we didn't didn't know each other. And then uh, I was hitchhiking across the country in, in, after high school, and I was up at Middlebury College visiting a guy, a, another guy I didn't know. And those guys kicked me out, and he said, you should go down to Rutgers. My friend Peter is going there. And I hitchhiked down to Rutgers and just barged in on him and ended up staying in his dorm room for like three weeks, and then we were, we were, uh, we've been friends ever since. And have, then, you, have you kept in touch that whole time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The number of the number of events, the number of uh, of like adventures that he and I went on in a in a you know a very brief like four year period, where neither of us were really living in the same place most of the time. But every time we were together, we would go on some kind of singular. We went to Europe together. We went. Uh, we lived in Washington D.C. together. Like we did a lot of we did a lot of things because Peter is a he's a, a an adventurous guy and a good friend. Although the type of guy A that will take your credit card and buy himself dinner while you are languishing in jail. I think you know. Can I just say if he's if he has if he's finished bailing you out and he's yeah. edited the tape down, you know what? Go enjoy a sandwich. But you know, put John first. I mean, it is your card. That's not how he. That's not how he rolls. He, he was. He let you know. And I'm sitting in there like, and the the sheriff is kind of like running his running his keys up and down the the bars like so. This looks like your friend split on you. So it was, it was, it was bail though. You had to still, you know what? That's a derail. No, I had to go back and deal. I had to deal with the crime. But now you had a little experience. I, you know, I got, I got two thoughts on this. First of all, like, isn't it in retrospect, if what you're saying is even 40% accurate and I'm sure it is, you have a great memory, but you know, it doesn't it seem pretty bananas. Like after, I mean, like in my case, I'll speak for myself, speaking for you too, but like months can go by and kind of not that much really happens. Like there's not that many things where you go, oh, I've got a pretty crazy story about the day I looked at YouTube or whatever. And, right. but like, the, it doesn't seem so strange in retrospect. Maybe it's the intensity of the memory that like you could have so much happen in 48 hours. Doesn't that seem crazy in retrospect? Yeah. Well, and, and particularly, I mean, when I was 20 years old, I could tell you the top 10 
times I was closest to death. And every one of those, (laughs) every one of those stories would have been like, what? No way. Seriously? Like, I had 10 good stories about like hanging by my fingernails. And now, 24 years later, like eight of my top 10 best stories about being closest to death are, are the same as they were when, they, when I was 20. Well, that seems good, kind of. I mean, well, isn't, it, isn't that kind it, of a good thing? It in does, but, uh, you know, I put, I put most of those stories together between the time I was 15 and 20, I mean, five years. And it's been five years. I mean, in the last five years, I've been, I've been working on this macro, macaroni art uh, here, and I, it's still not done. It's all spread over, spread over the floor of my office here, making kind of a macaroni George Washington. You know, good things take time. Well, I'll tell you. But I'm not going to tell that story five years from now. Um, Live fast, die young. A lot. What's crazy is there are a lot of people who die of those adventures when they're 22 or 23 or 17. You know, who die? And then I mean, they don't. Kind of, doesn't it kind of seem like the odds. That's 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 the thing. It's like you, and you, when you're saying all of this, it, it, that's it. Kind of blows my mind. Uh, given so like you were just saying like eight of your 10 best stories are from like before you were 20 like it's it doesn't it seem uh not to to be morose well yeah yeah my best my best sex stories are all from from later but i'm not a a librarian but but yeah i mean doesn't it seem kind of crazy that like given the the curve the trajectory that you were on like i don't know it must i don't know it must just seem pretty weird that like that you would make it out of that well it's it it is a It's it's one of the reasons that a lot of the hand wringing that goes into talking about teens and the culture that we are raising teens in and how morally bankrupt it is and how video games cause violence and how uh you know we're not teaching our kids the right sexual politics and all this stuff and 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 that 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 consumes a big part of our national dialogue and the reality is that, I mean, 17-year-olds have a kind of death wish. You can tell your kid every day not to, not to hang his head out of the sunroof and try and drive his car with his feet <laughs> at 110 miles an hour. But right now, somewhere in America, that's happening a half a dozen times. There's some kid right now driving his car with his feet 100 miles an hour with the headlights off on a dirt road. And you can talk about it being part of the culture or his parents didn't raise him right or any one of a million things. And, it, and it's really none of those things. It's just, I mean, I've told you, right? When they, had the, when they instituted the three strikes law up here in Washington, I would open the newspaper and I would read these articles about like, oh, this kid, 24 years old, just got sentenced to life in prison because he had his third strike. Mm-hmm. And I would read the description of the three strikes and I'm just like, Man, I have done every one of those things. I did all three of those strikes. Worse than that kid. And I just didn't get caught. And it's not that I didn't get caught because I was smart or fast or I just didn't get caught. There just didn't happen to be a sheriff driving by or there didn't happen to be... You know, I missed the phone pole by a hair's breadth instead of crunching I mean, like you, you would even look at that and you would see yourself but realize it was just kind of dumb luck. Absolutely. I mean, you, uh, you read those three strikes. I mean, they don't they don't prosecute people that same way anymore. But you'd read these three strikes laws, and it's like the first strike was he was seventeen, 
and he stole his grandmother's car and joyriding it, he wrecked it. And to teach him a lesson, his grandmother pressed charges and they tried him as an adult because he, he had already gotten into some trouble smoking pot in school. And every person in that chain didn't do it out of meanness. They did it right. out of thinking that it was going to set this kid straight. Yeah. And then his I mean, second, think? yeah, absolutely. His second strike was uh, breaking and entering because he and some friends were drunk and they were out in the woods and they broke into a cabin and uh, stole some liquor out of the liquor cabinet. But the neighbor down the road saw a light on in the cabin and called the troopers and the troopers came and they were too drunk to run. And so that's his second strike. But they prosecuted it as a breaking and entering because his dad wasn't a lawyer and he, you know, and he got nine months in jail, which he served. And then he got out and then his third strike was that he was selling ecstasy and he's 21 years old. He was selling ecstasy at a rave and he sold ecstasy to some 16 year olds and he was 21 and it was a felony charge and that's his third strike and it gets life in prison. Hmm. And I, and I read, and there's so many articles like that or there were, where you just run down the list and you're like, dude, that there was no, he never even fired a gun in the air. Like, there was never he never burned anything down. He never led police on a chase. I mean, all three times it was just like pretty much falls in the category of what to me at least at the time seemed like innocent hijinks. Like, oh yeah, he broke into a mountain cabin. Come on, who hasn't done that a thousand times? <laughs> well, you know? it wasn't like it wasn't like three hostage situations or three like bombings or something. Or I mean- even yeah, like no one ever got hurt and it was and it was like some low-level minor league drug shit, some minor league, like breaking and entering. I mean, come on. I, I broke and entered <laughs> into a lot of places and never took anything other than like a bowl of ice cream. And half of the time I left a note. But like I needed a place to sleep for a minute. It was a mountain cabin. I was out. I was between... I was between beds or whatever. There's a million reasons why you might find yourself living in a shotgun shack. You might find yourself in another part of the world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, and every one of those, you know, the number of cars that I borrowed and m- maybe got high centered on a stump outside of golden Colorado. Hypothetically. Or, or maybe, you know, ran into some wetlands and and in a lot of cases like either either kind of got away with it or didn't or didn't get prosecuted for it and all that stuff it's just crazy let alone the kids that were doing that and zigged instead of zagged and and died you know that i've told you about the friend of mine who was who left a party and like cutting through backyards hopped a fence and got his pants caught on the on the fence and couldn't get his pants dislodged and, and passed out and froze to death. What? And it's like, he's a, he's a friend of mine. And they found him in the morning, like frozen solid hanging on this fence by his belt loop. And you're, and you must be thinking like, you've done so much stupider, willfully, willfully stupider stuff than that. Come on. I mean, like, you know, 
Like we used to climb up, and that's another thing. Uh, my friend, uh, my buddy Peter and I used to climb up on the second story of this cabin that was surrounded by logged area, and we would jump off the second story of this cabin and um, and like just free fall face first uh, and land in the snow. What from like but from like from- fifteen twenty feet up? I mean, yeah, the the peak of a two story cabin. So, oh my god! And you know, and we would like swan dive, but there were which is like okay, sure. There's five feet of snow, and 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 we and none of us ever got hurt. But all around this cabin, there were stumps, just like tree stumps, and we never landed on one. But you wouldn't know. I mean, the snow was just deep enough that you wouldn't know where the tree stumps were. So you would jump off the roof of the cabin and and. uh what, what what about the time that you just land uh, uh, chest first on a three-inch tree stump or something? But again, know? it's another kind of dumb luck. Stupid. Just stupid luck. And the, the so, so I mean, the number of the, the top ten times that I uh, could have died, all those good stories, involve actual motorcycle crashes or, or like freight train hijinks or gunplay, like bad scenes where hilariously I avoided dying. But <laughs> but the shit where you're just where you're just like hopping over a fence in the middle of the winter or right. or uh, uh, uh we were snowshoeing across a frozen lake one time and the lake started to break. Lake started to go and we were running and the and the 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 uh the ice was heaving and like water was kind of chasing us across this lake and because we were on snowshoes we weren't we were staying up did, did you know the, it was a lake when you were crossing it oh yeah we knew it was a lake i mean it's yeah clearly it's a it lake feel, it feels we, different when you're walking on it well there are no trees like you're walking through the forest and then you come to the uh, an area that is that is like a frozen <laughs> lake it looks it looks like a lake except it's frozen so why, why would water. you do that <laughs> Because it's because it's a big lake, and you're trying to get to the other side of it, and okay. you don't want to go can, around. You don't want to go around, and 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 you can walk across a frozen lake on snowshoes, and it's not a problem. Except these are these situations, like I was describing, where we would land on a float plane or we land the ski plane on the mm-hmm. swamp, mm-hmm. because the swamp is generating all this methane, and there and the springs are keeping the there that the the lake never completely freezes, and you can't tell one from the other. And we're halfway across this thing, and. You know, when you're walking on frozen lakes, they, they, they crack. You hear the cracking, but it, it doesn't mean that you're going to fall through. But in this case, like, it cracked, and then big, big panels started to move. Like, we were on a piece of ice that was, you know, 50 feet across, and it started to go. And we're running for the edge, and it starts to, you know, it starts to tilt and slide, and we jump, and hit the next section, which starts to crack and break and tilt and slide. And the snowshoes are keeping us, keeping us on top of the snow. So we're not, you know, if we had just been in boots, it would have, we would have gone into this lake, which is, I, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not uh, describing it very well because this lake was in the middle of nowhere. It's, you know, it's a hundred miles from anywhere. And if, if, if either of us or if any, if we had gone in, it would have been, that would have been the end. There was nobody there to rescue us, and there was no... They would never have found us, you know what I mean? You would have just gone in and under the ice and gone forever. 
And so all that kind of stuff where you're like, that doesn't even, that's not even on the list of stories. That's just like one, that's just a day in the life. But there are people who go out and never come back and, and they're on a list of, they're on a list of mysteries. And it does give, it does give one pause, particularly, particularly on the like 400th consecutive day that I'm sitting in my computer looking at <laughs> bringatrailer.com and trying to imagine if I can fit into an Alfa Romeo that I have earned this leisure by somehow surviving all these. <laughs> like you're, you're a dumbass emer- emeritus. Yeah. Yeah. Some, that's right. Like I am a, re- I am the retired director of the dumbasses <laughs> of America and I'm sitting in my dotage here right. just kind of squandering my, 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 my life, squandering my adult life that all these amazing, adventurous, crazy kids are deprived of because they either died or are in jail for shit that, you know, shit that was just, uh, ju- they just zigged when they should have zagged. And I don't have any sense that I was saved for a reason or that I was... That's the problem. That I survived because I was smart. Well, it wasn't, it wasn't like there was one time, you know, where, where you led some kind of like a, a clean and godly life, and then one time you prayed, and it turned out better than you'd hoped. Right. I mean, there's, there's no fucking reason you're alive. It's, it's completely bananas. Well, and, and, I mean, I swear to you, open up the Sunday paper, and there will be some article about a 17-year-old girl in a, in a Volkswagen Cabriolet that her father bought her as a graduation present. Yeah. who, along with three friends, went off the road and they were thrown from the car and they're dead. And you're just like, yep. what? How does that, how do you prevent that? You don't. I mean, you can not buy her a cabriolet, so she does it in a, in a used uh, Honda Civic or whatever. It's just like some people don't make it. The guy, the guy who ran sound at the place where, where uh, all, of, all of our bands played, you know, typical kind of local sound man and, and friend of the owners. And uh, he was at a party one night and he jumped off a diving board when there wasn't like water. And, and then he got, he was just from then on, he was like in the Stephen Hawking situation with like the little, oh. the little chair with the battery and stuff. Yeah. And uh, you know, not, not to be morose, but I mean, God, I, in retrospect, I've done such, <laughs> I'm not, I'm a piker compared to you. Like I have not played on the same level you're playing at. But like, I think everybody who's under 25 does shit that will harrow them. Mm-hmm. Just, is that a, is that a verb? It, that it will, they'll blow you away. That will make your scrote suck up into your body when you think about like how close you were. And, and let's just, here's the other thing. And these are just the ones you know about. Right. Like set, set, setting aside the, like you step off the curb and, and some idiot hits you. But I mean, like all the times where you like made some step that a even 30 year old person would go, what the fuck were you thinking? Yeah. I mean, and we, we, we all have these and I, I saw this article. I, I don't know. I, I mishmash all these turns out articles, but two things I remember reading the last year or so. One of them is, I think it might be my shrink actually that said this is there's like this kind of important middle part of your brain that doesn't really finish forming until you're like in your mid twenties. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, where, hippocampus could be. That's that's the uh, the little seahorse. That, that no, could that's, be it. That's where the hippos live. It's where the hippos go to college. <laughs> <laughs> I'm giving you a bell in my head, <laughs> in my corpus callosum. <laughs> but uh, but but you know you you hear these turns out stories. There was one a few months ago about the 
the fact that like teenagers are like, uh, not only are they kind of not done baking brain wise, but that there's a certain, you have to Google this, but there's a certain kind of chemistry that people in their teens have that kind of makes them take risks. Like mm-hmm. you're kind mm-hmm. of hardwired to be a dumbass at a certain point. It's kind of astonishing that anybody makes it long enough to lose their virginity, let alone get arrested. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of a, you know what I mean? It's like, if we didn't have all of this great healthcare and airbags, you know, it's, it seems like there would be a lot more of them. And it's the same kind of thing that makes you, maybe it's the thing that makes you want to join the army. Maybe it's the kind of thing that makes you want to base jump. Like, right. you know, I guess it varies a lot, but I mean, <sighs> it's the, it's the, it's the, it's the fundamental, like it's, it's what's so dichotomous about us is that we are so hard to kill and yet so easy to kill. And it's, it's one of the things that I, that's profound about having a child is just like you, you see how resilient a, a human being is like they're very hard to injure. Right. And yet at the same time you can turn around and, and just one, one false move. Oh, right. And, I, I mean, like my kid got away from me for 30 seconds at a target last week and I almost lost my mind. You know, I, I mean, I felt like such a, such a weird helicopter dad, but, but I mean like, like, and th- I, I, really don't want to sound glib about this, but you know, you think about God, the horrible loss, like we talked about dry drowning. I don't know if you actually Googled that, but, um, the kind of horrible, like, ah, God, you can never see it coming kind of thing that will will take a child's life. But then you also think about like one guy who's like 22 or 23, like being kind of a funny high jerk at a party. And now like the, the, the guardian part of it is he's going to live. But he's got to have a little straw and and a, and a chair with a battery. Yeah. Like for the yeah. next like sixty years. Yeah. And it's yeah, like well. that, that's the part where like you know when I was getting like like ah uh, God you know I don't have many stories like yours not by a long shot but but in retrospect a lot of things that given my background were extremely close calls you know we're like getting busted and busted or almost busted for drinking or drugs and like I think about like how they could have been a little bit different. You know, just, just, if that had gone just the slightest bit different, you know, let alone that, like, you know, I was not a drinker and driver. I never have been, but you know, like that kind of thing, like, you know, you just hear these stories, these chilling, God, this is entertaining. Those (laughs) those horribly chilling stories about somebody who's just a fucking kid and they're, and they're being like us and they're being silly and they run through a stop sign. And like, you know, uh, kill a sophomore with a promising future and yeah, like, and, and like the rest of their life, they're just going, what the fuck? Like, well, just to take this, just to really shift gears on this conversation and really put the pedal to the metal, gonna really cold activate it. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to pop the tab on my can of Guinness and it's going to fill, it's going to, that's going to make the Guinness came out of the tap of uh, the warm tap of a yeah, English club. Um, is this whole business of like, you turn around and your kid is gone. You, you're at the playground, you turn around and your kid is gone. Right. And you didn't do anything wrong. You were just there and they were there and then it, they're gone and you never see them again. Like, how do you, like how how do you contextualize that? How do you? How, I, I'm I'm so good at generally not thinking about that. Uh, like I have to say, for as insecure as I am and as weird and helicoptery as I am, I don't obsess about that. And I, I have because I am so anxious a lot of the time. I actually do pretty well sometimes, unless my friend's yelling at me to call nine one one. I generally do pretty well in a slightly stressful situation because I tend to go straight into like okay. 
Finally, right. I have, I have something, next? I have something for this, all this focus that I have. This will be useful. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm at Target and I said, you know, listen, we got to go. I'm going to start walking this way. And, uh, and she wasn't there and just in, in this case. And, yeah. but I stopped for a second. I said, wait a minute. Like I do know as I have counseled my kid, the main thing to remember is not to freak out. Like there's nothing that's ever been made better by panicking. And so I stopped for a second. I got a little logical. And I realized how far, even at a, <laughs> I sound like Tommy Lee Jones, like even at like a, like a sprint, how far she would go. And I thought, well, I'm going to risk my dignity. And I yelled her name really loud, but not crazily, like three times. And then I walked toward where I thought she would be. And you, you know the deal on being lost, right? When you're lost, like, like stay in one place, right? Right, right. So I didn't go too far beyond the perimeter and I found her in 30 seconds. And then yeah. I was suddenly relieved and then all the, the stress of my regular life came back. But, <laughs> but in that case, you know, but, but, you know, I haven't had too many of those, but like yeah. now she goes places and takes field trips on buses and, and you go like, oh, you, you just, yeah, you put her in the hands of some other person who's right, and you do everything. Got their and, own list of times. But now, 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 here's this is our crazy unformed brain. Is like you can like you certainly know this. You can sit around and like process that and overthink that all day long, and does exactly jack shit about reality. Right. Which is that like you know, uh, the equivalent of a drone could come along at any time. Like just stupid shit just happens. Yeah. And and, and, and you know, and there's like it could be. Both of us killed in a crosswalk, you know, I mean, not, not to be morose, but the thing is, um, I, I don't know. I think you can't obsess about that stuff too much or you get, you get really weird. And I think you generate a level of anxiety in your kid. that's not useful for anybody. Yeah. So it's, it's like, I, the, I, I, I say as though I'm great at it. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, uh, are you familiar with the great man theory of history? You know, you talk about it a lot, but I don't think I've ever gotten a, 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 and according to Hoyle, exegesis of that. So I would take You know, the, the, the great man theory of history is just that his, this history... This was very out of fashion, John. This was very out of fashion when you were in college. That's right. Very out of fashion. That's and right. it turns on the idea that, that Charlemagne and Napoleon, that these kind of singular people, <sighs> Joan of Arc... French. Fucking three fucking French people. That's right. It was that because that's all history went through France. Debussy. It all went through, it all went through Aachen. Mm. Uh, when Aachen was part of France, but in any case, um, all of history turns on these giant, these giant uh, pivot people, and it was very unfashionable for a long time in the university. But it's all, but but in my own personal history, I look back and I think if I had not, if I had not met person X, and instead of having met person X, had met person Y. Would my whole life be different? Because as you're searching for, you know, as you're searching for meaning, as you're searching for a narrative in your own life, these tentpole people, like, oh yeah, right. I only lost my virginity to one girl. And <laughs> and in my case, in my case, I if got lucky. If you're lucky, you just I, lose it to one. I didn't, re I didn't ride my motorcycle up the stairs and lose my virginity to two girls. I just had the one and I got lucky in that case, but you know, I feel like, I feel like my high school girlfriend who was a wonderful, who, you know, is a wonderful productive member of society. The mulatto and, Irish girl. Yeah. And I'm sure that, I'm sure that she votes, uh, in all the elections and I, and she probably pays her taxes with a minimum of complaint. Um, but I, you know, if, if I had gone a different way, if I had met a different person or if my high school girlfriend had been a different person, I think my life would have been a lot different. And it's the same, it's the same kind of 
idea and now that i'm looking at my kid you know i want her first boyfriend to be somebody nice and i know i can't do anything about it certainly i can't do anything about it now and all you can do is try and make her a good person and hope that she gets lucky you know it's not that i it's not that i chose wrong it's just that i didn't get lucky uh in the in the high school girlfriend sweepstakes like that's the that's the that's the trick like i didn't choose wrong i chose the i chose correctly and it, and luck wasn't on my side and that's the in in my, in my own life i can i just shrug I, I for the most part shrug but when you have a when you have a kid and you look at her future and you think like oh my god luck luck is going to play into this somehow i'm trying to do everything right that that, that just won't do and you're going to roll into some school and there's going to be some guy and he's going to seem awesome right and it's just boy just, he's, like, he really seems to love kids it turns out he doesn't it turns out he's not right. awesome like oh. I, I thought you know you you will handle this so much better than me um i i know but i mean i've, I've actually thought about that a lot and i'm reluctant to say anything because i don't want to sound careless yeah. but i really don't want to sound careless but you know i mean the one thing i i try to keep in mind is um i don't know just that I mean, I don't know if you ever have noticed this about me, but sometimes I can be a somewhat anxious person. Wait. Well, hang on. Which one am I? What? Wait a minute. You're the one who designed my T-shirt, Driven by Fear. <laughs> Turned on my VCR. Same one I've had for years. <laughs> driven um, by fear. Dun, 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 dun. Driven by fear. I think that's what uh, Stuart Copeland calls. Anyway, uh, I, but I mean, like, and you could probably, if a cynical person could see this as playing the odds, but, uh, in, in the, um, with the prospect of what I could potentially pass on to her with my ridiculous amount of anxiety, like I, it, you know, and there's no way I can't. I used to think that I could, I used to think that I could successfully not pass on, not simply my own anxieties, but the anxieties that were visited upon me and became mine. From other mm -hmm. people. Mm -hmm. I have to imagine on some level, this is super personal and I should shut up. But I mean, like I think about like you and your dad, like there must be things about your life you wish were different. You, you love your wonderful late father. And, but there must be certain things where you go like, I wish I could go in and kind of scrub through this video a little bit and change a couple things about it. Because certainly it had an impact for the positive in some ways, but you know, there's probably things you'd like to do differently. I'm yeah, I think I would have been a bass player. Really? Yeah, I think if you're a you bass player, would have, you would have lost your virginity a lot earlier. I think if you're a bass player, singer, songwriter, you can control a band. Yes, from like the puppet master chair. Where my name is Mud. Whereas a singer guitar player, right? You're just like you're relying you're like the Honda Civic of people. Yeah, you're re you're relying on all these mechanics. To tell you, like, what you know, to, to run a diagnostic on your car and tell you what the chip says, <laughs> and you're just sitting there with your fucking guitar and your C chord and your G chord, and you don't know, you don't know what they mean. You don't, you're just like, you're like, uh, okay, I'll pay whatever, it, I'll pay whatever it costs. Just please, just play my song. <laughs> I just want to drive off. I just want to drive out of the garage with my dignity intact. Yeah, but if you're the bass player singer, yeah, then. I don't know. I just feel like I could have. I can't, I I can't think of a great example that comports with what you're describing. I keep uh, no, thinking, no, like, no, no. That's, Lee, that's you the, got less Claypool. That's the thing. There, the the guy from Winger, Kip Winger. Oh, you got uh, uh, Lemmy. Lemmy. I feel, but the thing is, McCartney, right? 
Yeah. It's a good example. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think, I think he is like Lou Barlow. I think he is at heart a guitar player. <laughs> yeah. I know he's famous for bass. Did you notice his bass got louder and louder over the years? Well, that was the, that was the whole thing. That kept By the going time of Silly Martin. Love songs, it was literally all you could hear. Yeah. Okay, I'm, I'm going to get past this one thing, and, and then we can, we can check and jive. Just the one thing, all I'm going to say is that like, I'm trying to let go of this meta-anxiety, which is this idea that like, I have uh, any kind of control over these things I don't really have control over. So I wanna, How do you let go of it, though? Well, uh, part, I think I, I'm, I'm not saying I'm good at it, but, but, but I, I, I do think that um, – you know that old that old thing they say where you know dogs can smell fear. Like I, I'm I'm not sure if that's like you know strictly like biologically anatomically animally true, but right, I think animatronic. What, I think what dogs can sense is flop sweat, and I think mm-hmm. I think one reason dogs um, react. They also they also can smell when a woman is ovulating. Oh sure, they call it the menses. You got the. Uh, <sighs> And so I think that kids are extremely sensitive to what their parents are freaked out about. And, yes. uh, and, and, and they're probably equally sensitive to when they're trying to cover it up. Well, yeah, and, I, I, I can appreciate why you would want to move beyond anxiety, but how do you? Well, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't have like a, like a bullet list, but all I'll say is it's an ongoing struggle. And um, – yeah, and again, I, I'm not trying to say that I'm any good at it, and I right. feel like I'm, I, you know, I'm not a superstitious person, but I feel like I'm, I'm courting fate just by saying this, and this will probably be in the thing they play on NPR for my segment. <laughs> hi, Nina. <laughs> Wait, I'm not on the Supreme Court. What am I saying? But um, I thought you were trying to Nina Hagen. <laughs> no, I think you're thinking of Klaus Nomi or, or Nina Blackwood. I need a Blackwood. We'll cut this part out. I just, I, you know what? I, I, I'm not saying I'm good at it. I'm just saying that, like. Um, once you, uh, accept that there are some drones in life that, that you don't have that much control over, um, yeah. it's, it doesn't make you any happier or less anxious, but it does make you appreciate that, like, you can keep your powder dry for the times when there is something you can prevent. Right. right? So, you know, uh, this, uh, actually a productivity guru that I like a lot, this guy, David Allen says, you know, uh, in your, in your life and, and your productivity, it's a lot like having a kid have as few rules as possible, but be really dogged about enforcing what those rules are. Oh. And, t- and to me, that application becomes like, okay, here's some patterns. I don't want to, I don't want you to have to feel like you've got to read a fucking PDF to decide how to cross the street. Right. I want you to get to where you can develop some combination of confidence and, uh, self-possession that, that, that I don't have, that I hope you will have, that lets you make the right decision at the right time in the right context. And you don't get that by going, <gasps> right, right, right. And if I constantly go, <gasps> you know, some, yeah. I, I, and I, I'm guessing you're better at this than me. Sometimes she's just going to fucking hit her head on the swing set and that's yeah. going to have to be okay. The, the, the rules that I, the only rules I have uh, for my daughter are uh, no loud talking. <laughs> Anytime. Don't, don't touch daddy's cigarettes. <laughs> there uh, is no, there is no outside voice. Okay. Well, I'm sorry. Just quickly. So, so, so number one, no, no loud talking ever. No loud talking. Not, not, not just when you're concentrating on your, on your, uh, on your Pete Townsend research, but just anytime. No loud talking. It's unnecessary. Okay. Don't touch daddy's cigarettes. Okay. Don't touch. Daddy doesn't smoke, but he keeps cigarettes around mm-hmm. as a, as a, like, in the same way that he keeps loaded guns around. <laughs> oh, don't touch daddy's loaded guns. 2A. 
<laughs> um, How does she know uh, if they're loaded? I thought every time you pick up an, uh, some any kind of a, a gun, you're supposed to personally check to see if it's loaded. Yeah, they're all. Every, is that true? Is that, is that good? Never, never point at anything you don't want to kill. Well, first of all, uh, step zero: don't take it out. Is this correct? Is this the Rifleman's Creed? There are many <laughs> like it, but my you take if you're gonna take it out. Yeah, you got to plan to kill somebody, right? Oh, you're saying if you're carrying a gun and you're going to pull it and point it at somebody? Well, I'm just saying if your daughter wants to get at that cigarette, she's going to take out her sidearm. Yeah, if you take out a gun and point it at somebody, you had better be prepared to shoot and kill them. And yeah, really, I would, really I, work at it. Yeah, because but and and what that but is? But assume what, every gun is loaded. Yes. What that is a what that means though is that never pull your gun out and point it at somebody. I mean, you never are you never are going to ninety nine percent of the people that pull their gun out and point at somebody have no intention of shooting it or killing them. They just want to. Scare the other Fucking person. Fucking teenagers. Into twirling it around on their finger, right? Well, but no, ninety-nine percent of adults that pull their gun out, they expect that the other person is going to cower. And what they're looking for is is that what they're looking for is that power. They want to make somebody cower. Oh, it's like that little man kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so they pull their guns out and they're like, What did you say? Or they're like, now how, now how you feel? Oh, and, you, and you hold it sideways like somebody right. in, a, in a gangster hold the video. Gun sideways, or you, or you, you know, or you do some kind of baloney with it. I don't know if you know, John. That's a super effective way to point a gun. I don't know if you know that. Sideways, yeah. Oh, up, yeah. Up over your head, sideways. Yeah, especially down. by the third shot, you're going to be in great shape. But and then and the reason people get shot is that a lot of times they they pull the gun out and they point it at somebody who is legitimately crazy or doesn't give a fuck or also has a gun or moves faster than them or whatever. Right. You know, but I, th- I don't think, I think, I mean, most of the time, if you intent, if you are prepared to shoot somebody, you pull the gun out and shoot them. You, 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 there's no big speech that you have to give. So all those like gun comes out and you're like given a speech, but you, you'll wait. I'm guessing I, I don't put words in your mouth, but you'll wait till she's three or four to like really express this perhaps with some kind of a PowerPoint. But but oh, no, no I, loud talking. Don't touch I, daddy's cigarettes. Don't I touch daddy's what, guns. I think what'll happen with her is that she'll yeah. see this in action. Somebody will pull a gun out at me, and I will take it, and I will I'll make them eat it, and then she'll be like, "Oh, I get it. Don't do that. Don't pull a gun out. Don't don't pull a gun on daddy." Will be the first thing she. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? There's a lot to learn from pistol whipping. <laughs>